is just you, yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody today. Hey, let's all stand together and let's worship today with our voices and with our whole hearts, okay? Sing it out. You've been walking the same old road for miles and miles. You've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, we'll save the prison shaking savior he's a chain breaker we've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night we've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight we've all run to things we know that just ain't right a better life. You got pain. He's a pain taker. You feel lost. He's a way maker. You need freedom or safety. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got pain, he's a chain breaker. a seat. It's time for the sermon. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're getting out early today. 
Now, I want to welcome you here to Airline as we get started this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're so honored to have you here. My name's Zach. I'm the lead pastor, and we'd love for, to connect with you. And so there should be a card somewhere in the seat back around you. love for you to fill that out, turn it into the offering plate in just a few minutes. And then we have a gift for you just to thank you for being here with us this morning. Or if you have prayer needs or concerns, you can fill that out. love to pray over that need this week. But with that being said, we're entering into a new season as a church this month. We shared with you at the end of last year, one of our aims as a church is financial freedom as a church. And so we've started a freedom campaign. And so really, I want to spend just a couple minutes this morning talking about what we're doing and where we're going. And so as we begin to talk about this freedom campaign, the first question I want to ask is why? Why would we do this? Why would we enter into a freedom campaign? Does it seem like things are going well? What benefit would there be from doing something like this? Well, as we get started, currently in our budget, we spend $54,000 a year in debt retirement. We break this down, that's $4,500 a month. That's $1,038 and some change every single week. That's roughly 10% of our church budget goes to debt retirement. Now we praise the Lord for the facilities we have here, but that's a lot of money that before it's ever used for ministry, before it's ever used for impact, that's a check we have to cut every single month. And so as a church, we just want to pray and ask God, what could we do with 10% more? Not even talking about growth, Nothing. If we had access to 10% of our budget, what could we do with that? First, we could increase our ministry capacity. There's more that we could be doing as a church if we had 10% more. Not only that, we could increase our ministry staff. As I shared with you a few weeks ago, one of our aims is to get up to full ministry staff. There's positions that we know need to be feel, filled. And there's some positions we want to create, some positions we want to restructure. Finding financial freedom would grant us the ability to do that. But then lastly, it'll increase our current ministry effectiveness. That we understand there's some months we're giving is up and there's some months we're giving is low. And the bank does not care about either one of those. We all understand this, right? And so those months we're giving is low, we still have to cut that check to the bank. It may mean that we've got to pull back from some things as a church. There's been plenty of weeks, Mike and I, we've sat down in the office and been like, 
we need to pull back on this. We need to look, maybe postpone this. Finding financial freedom will allow us to not have to have those conversations. What do we need to pull back on because we've got to pay this big payment at the end of this month? So that's our why. That's our why. But second, I want to ask who? As I shared, one of the things that I did is I formed a freedom campaign team. Because I'm not a finance guy, I'm not a CPA, I'm a pastor. And so I wanted to surround myself with some capable folks to help me think through and process what does this campaign need to look like. And this is a diverse group with different, different gifts and abilities and have been at the church different time periods and length. And so I've surrounded myself with them to think through and pray through this. And in our first meeting, I challenged them, your first priority to be a part of this team is that you commit to pray for this. Before we ever got into the numbers, I said, your aim is to pray. So our first meeting, we spent time in prayer over this. But then to strategize and to help me communicate with the rest of the church body. So I know we have a few folks in here. If you're part of that Freedom Campaign team, would you just stand up real quick? I know we got Kirk here. Deborah Smith is sick. Ricky's been a part of it. Chris Elrod's somewhere around, Jerry's um, somewhere around. So we've got a handful of folks who are part of it. David McNeil is a part of that as well. Y'all can grab a seat. So we've been meeting, talking about this, and what does this process need to look like? So the result of that process is to ask the question, how are we going to do it? And we decided on freedom February. How are we going to do it? Freedom February. So here's what we're doing. We're going to have a commitment to corporate prayer. So before we ever do anything, before we ever give a dollar, we as a church are going to commit ourselves to pray over this. And so this Sunday, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, we are going to pray and ask for God to work in this. So it's a commitment to corporate prayer. But then second, it's a commitment to corporate generosity. We understand times are tough. We, we understand grocery bills are going up. Things get more expensive. But it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us giving sacrificially to this. Because you see, this is over and above what we normally give. We still need to be operational throughout this project. We don't need to cut back on ministry to pay things off. We still need to be able to engage in ministry. So it's going to require generosity. And so what we're going to have is the last Sunday in February, we're going to have a special time at the end of worship. 
where we're going to have envelopes and commitment cards available. And I encourage you throughout this month to gather together as a family or you individually and just begin to pray. Maybe God leads you and you have the means just to do a one lump sum payment. Praise God for that. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're going, we don't have the means to do that, but we know we can commit to X dollars a month. Praise God for that. But let it be God who leads you into that. Don't let it be me or anybody else pulling your arm to make a commitment. Let it be God. And throughout this time, we're also going to be talking about other opportunities because we recognize there's some that may not be able to financially participate, but our aim is 100% church involvement in this. That this is not for a select few who have the financial means to participate. And so we're going to be presenting opportunities that, for all of us to participate in this together. And so one of the things you're going to be seeing throughout this time is a graphic. And we want to update this weekly. And so as it stands today, to become debt-free as a church, we're sitting at $126,964.52 to be free. So as we go throughout this process, as I said, our aim is that that reaches 100 percent that means we are free that means that's 54 grand a year that's no longer tied up going to a bank but is now able to be used for our mission and our vision as a church that we're no longer paying the bank we're able to leverage those funds for the gospel to make christ known And so when is this going to take place? Our end goal, this isn't indefinite. Our end goal is August. Why August? Because in August, we as a church will be celebrating 150 years of existence. That's a lot. Mike remembers when it was started. I just had to throw that in there. But church, what better way to celebrate 150 years than to celebrate by being free? So that's our target. From February to the end of six months, we're not asking you to commit indefinitely. We're saying let's rally together for six months so that we can be free. And so as we go throughout this, I want to give us some corporate prayer prompts. Here's what we're praying for. First, that God would take what may seem small to us and multiply it. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is when Jesus feeds the thousands. He feeds the thousands with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And the disciples are convinced that Jesus cannot do it. 
How are we supposed to feed the thousands? Send them back to the village. See, the disciples' mistake was thinking that what was in their hands would be the same in Christ's hands. That when we take what's in our hands and place it in Christ's hands, it's infinitely more that God would take and he would use it as we go throughout this. But then second, our aim would not be merely be freedom for the sake of freedom, but freedom for the sake of mission. Our aim is not just to be debt-free for the sake of being debt-free as a church. If that was the case, we prolong this thing. It's naturally going to get paid off. But instead, we want to be intentional. Why? Because we have a mission we are called to here. And we are not called to put off that mission. So we want to be intentional for the sake of mission. And then lastly, that we as a church would walk in unity in this. It's easy. As a church, money issues can divide a church, can cause rifts, can cause problems. Let us be intentional that we would seek unity through this. Because I understand this is a big ask. We're asking God to do something big this year. Really not even this year, we're asking God to do something big in the next six months. And it's gonna take all of us walking arm in arm with our eyes fixed on him to see this through. So I want to invite you, if you're more comfortable staying where you're at, that's fine. If you'd rather come down front and gather around this altar, we're going to pray over these things. And we're going to pray over this campaign. And then once we are done praying, we'll enter into our time of tithes and offerings at that moment. But over the next few Sundays, we're going to commit to taking time to pray over this. So I'm going to invite you to come. Band's just going to play for just a few seconds. And then Kirk's going to lead us in prayer.
Father, we come to you. Lord, and what an honor it is to be able to call you our Father, our Daddy. What a relationship we have, Lord, to know that we have a heavenly Father. That, Lord, with all the things of this universe that are in motion, you care about our heart's desires. Lord, you care about the things that, Lord, we ask. Lord, you care about every facet of our lives. And Father, you see our hearts, and Lord, you understand the purpose behind our desires. And Lord, you know our heart is that the, this place on this hill, Lord, can just be the instrument that can reach those lives that need you. And Father, we just pray today, Lord, knowing that everything we have comes from you, but also knowing, Father, that in your hands, even the smallest of things become huge. And so, Lord, we just ask today, Lord, that you'll take this, this time, Lord, that we're focusing on removing this hindrance of the ministry in this place and allow whatever it is, Lord, you challenge each of us to do. We know it'll be enough. Because, Lord, there is a mission that you've placed before us to complete. And, Father, we want to be a part of your mission. So, Lord, we ask your blessings upon this, Lord. And as we go forward, Lord, as we see this just visually see our arms locking together, Lord, we see us walking in step and hand in hand, Lord, that this will bring our church even closer as a body, knowing, Lord, that we're marching toward that same goal to see your mission complete. Father, what a what an honor, what an honor it is to serve you. What an honor, what a blessing it is to call you Daddy, Abba, Father. Father, touch our lives in a way that helps us to know today, Lord, that your hand is on this, that you're in this, and Lord, we walk in step with you. And we're not asking you to walk in step with us. Lord, we love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing, church. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made i see the stars i hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displayed then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou sings my soul my 
this time now have your way in everything that's done in the remainder of this day in Jesus name amen in worship this morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. We're going to be covering some ground this morning. It's kind of, even though it's divided by chapters, just to um, let us remember chapter numbers and verse numbers are not inspired. They're not original to the text. Um, and so really we're covering a large sequence of the narrative this morning. And so we started this a couple weeks ago, and Zach came and preached last week and appreciated him coming. But we left off finishing up Joshua 2 and really seeing the faithfulness of Rahab, that Joshua sends the spies into the land, and they are rescued by the most unlikely of individuals. And we're reminded that God's plan oftentimes uses the most unlikely of individuals. And that through this one singular action, God achieved multiple things down throughout history. Through this one singular action of Rahab, God provided a field for Ruth. God provided a king for Israel in David. In the generations down the line, God provided a savior to the world through Christ. So when God works, he's doing things that impact generations. And we're going to see a similar vein today. As the time has come for Israel to cross into the, over the Jordan. The time's come after all these years of waiting, after all the years of wandering in the wilderness, the time has come for them to enter into the promised land. And so there's a few things I want us to take note of. And so we're going to be looking, starting in chapter 1 of, or verse 1 of chapter 3, all the way through verse 1 of chapter 5. This morning. We're not going to read all of it. We're going to take a few sections and I'll recap some sections. But I want us to see a few things. First, I want us to see the preparation for God's work. All of this chapter centers around God being at work, God doing something extraordinary in the life of Israel. 
And so let's start in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And so as God is preparing them to cross over the Jordan, he gives them a focal point, the Ark of the Covenant. Now we know the central piece that the Ark of the Covenant plays throughout the history of Israel, and that it was this physical symbol, this picture of God's presence among his people, that God was with them. So he says, as you prepare to go, this is what you are to have your eyes fixed on. Now just think about this for just a moment. They've been wandering in the wilderness. They've heard stories of what the promised land was like. And yet this is what they are following. You see, God's work had to station them properly in order for them to enter into the promised land. They had to follow God's presence. This wasn't something that they were just able to go about however they desired. They were quite literally told, in order to do this, you've got to follow God. This isn't something that should be taken on haphazardly. Because he makes it clear, you've never been this way before. You've never stepped foot in here before. You don't know the way. But they're following a God who made the way. They're following a God who is entirely aware of what they would be stepping into as they stepped off the banks of the Jordan. They were following that God. So hear me this morning as a church, our aim is we want to follow God. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the next Five years holds. We don't know what the next decade holds. It's uncharted territory. But if our eyes stay fixed on him, if we stay at our station following after him, we're following the one who does know the way. We're following him. But not only does does he command them to, or call them to prepare with their station, but preparation also involves sanctification. Notice what he says in verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders 
among you. This term consecrate is to set apart, to sanctify, to make holy. They were to engage in some ritual preparation before they go in. He says to sanctify, to consecrate yourselves. When was the last time we were expectant of God to do something wonderful? Like, if you're expecting God to do something, like, that changes your perspective, right? That changes how you go about your business. If you're sitting there wondering, I'm wanting to see God do something today, that's going to change my mindset. As opposed to this is just any other ordinary day. It's a different mindset. What would happen if our mindset was, I want to see God work today? I'm expecting to see God work today. If God doesn't work today, then all of it was pointless. What if that was our mindset? They had to be sanctified in preparation to see God work. So all of this is happening. Before they've ever crossed over the Jordan, there was preparation for them to make. They had to have their station right. They had to have their position right, that they were following the ark. But not only that, before they could ever step foot into that, they had to be prepared and sanctified, expecting God to be at work. So there's preparation for God's work. But then second, we see experiencing God's work. If we were to take time to read verses 7 through 13, God tells Joshua he's going to lift Joshua up in the eyes of Israel. Not because Joshua is someone that's amazing, but because God is the one who is amazing. And he is going to be at work. And not only that, this action would be assigned to the nations of who God is. That the God of Israel is the God of heaven. And we're going to see that at the end. But we move to verses 14 and set through 17. It says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan was over, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. I just want to pause there for a second. The, the ESV puts this in parentheses. Because really, this verse, it, it's a long and it's a, it's a complex Hebrew verse. A lot of scholars wrestle with what exactly is being said here. The technical term, I believe, of what's at play is what's known as an exegetical comment. Basically, in the narrative, the author places something in there because he understands there's going to be readers one day down the road that doesn't understand this cultural reference. 
So he says, they came to the Jordan, and it was in this particular season when the banks were overflowing. See, the reader centuries down the line may not have understood what the season was in which they were coming to the Jordan. But I find this interesting. Because God's work can be complicated. Sometimes God does things that just don't make sense in our minds. Like, let's just be honest. What if God had done it differently? Like, surely God could have waited a couple months. Let us get into the dry season. Maybe there would have been some easier places to cross over the Jordan. God, why would you wait until the banks are overflowing? Maybe we could have went a few months earlier. No, God's still got to deal with Moses' generation. Or maybe we could have went a few months later. No, God says we're going now. And it doesn't make sense. We're, we're going to cross, you're, God, you're saying we're going to cross the Jordan. Even though, like, it's not just normal Jordan right now. It's overflowing Jordan. Like, it's out of the banks, God. You see, because God had a purpose in this. He wanted Israel to see exactly how powerful he was. That God did not require a dry season to get them across. God was powerful enough to take the river that was overflowing and say, look how powerful I am, and split it. God wanted Israel to see exactly who he was. But God does not require things to make sense from our perspective to demonstrate exactly who he is. He is more than capable of taking a river flowing out of its banks and making a path for his people. Sometimes it's complicated. But here's the beautiful part, it's comprehensive. It can be complicated, but it's comprehensive as we keep reading. It says, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over Jericho, passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Notice God is a God of the details. Not only did they pass over? It was completely dry ground. Could you imagine if God had just parted the waters, but yet it was puddles and mud all throughout the bed, and several hundred thousand people cross over 
by some estimates. That would have been a mess. There's no way they're getting all their equipment over. There's no way they're getting all the people over. It's going to be an absolute problem. Not for God. Because not only does he part the waters, by his miraculous power, they cross over on dry ground. And so they prepare to go. They prepare to see God's work. Second, they experience God's work. And then third, we see remembering God's work. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. It says, and when the nation had finished passing of the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from each, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord, your God, of the, of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. I want you to notice why God does this. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. You see, they experienced it. They got to see the waters go up. But God also commanded them to remember it. That they were to go and they were to take these stones and to build a memorial. In case they needed reminding one day, here's what God can do. In case their children one day had questions, who is the God of Israel? That's the God of Israel. Who is the God of heaven? Well, see, son, the God of heaven is the one who can take a, a river flowing out of its banks and make it stand up and his people walk through on dry ground. That's the God of heaven. In case you needed reminding. But you see, the monument wasn't meant to go with them. It stayed in Gilgal. The only thing that went with them was the reminder of God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant. But this was a reminder of God's power. If they ever needed reminding, they go back here. So they needed the reminder. And I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. But for sake of time, let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. And I want us to see the reaction to God's work. 
The rest of chapter 4 kind of gives us a recap of all of these events that had taken place. But then we get to chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted there, melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. You see, God was doing something in the midst of the hearts of Israel but God was also doing something in the hearts of those who were outside of Israel. You see, I'm convinced of this. In both Old Testament and New Testament, in both ancient times and modern days, when God begins to work in the lives of his people, the world takes notice. That when God really begins to get a hold of people's lives, people can't help but notice. See, you've heard me say it before. My aim as a pastor is not name recognition. It's not brand loyalty. It's not that when people outside of these walls hear Airline Baptist Church, they hear, oh, I heard y'all have a good pasture up there on the hill. But that when people out there, outside of these walls, hear Airline Baptist Church, they go, there's a God at work on the hill. I may not know who that God is, but there's something that is happening up there on the hill. I don't have a name for it. I don't know who it is, but there is something that is taking place on White Sulphur Road. It's not me. It's God. That's my desire. And I pray that is your desire as well. So this brings us this morning to our central idea. The people of God, following the presence of God, will experience the power of God. The people of God who are following the presence of God. That we, we don't want just what God has for us. We want God himself. That we want him. And I guarantee you, if that's our mindset, we can see God work in mighty ways. That's what they saw. They saw God part the Jordan. And they were just following him. But as we close, you see, there's this delicate balance in this text. And we see this even in our own lives. This experiencing God at work. Experiencing God's work in one's life. There's a delicate balance 
Because the, the text actually spends more time talking about remembering God's work than just the experience of God's work. You see, because we can be really short, we can have short-term memory that we've seen God work in the past and we just move on. But just as in Joshua's day, we're called to remember those things. To remember how we saw God at work. To remember how we saw God's power on display. So as the band comes back to the stage, I have just a question for you. What are the markers in your life that you can look back on and say, I saw God work here? Not to just stay back there. You don't live there. God had more for the Israelites after the Jordan than just crossing the Jordan. They weren't called to live there. But what are those markers in your life that propel you forward to follow God today? See, just to give you an example this morning, as many of you know, yesterday we celebrated Vivi's second birthday, which is crazy. She's a crazy two-year-old. And we're, we're still going through that legal adoption process, trying to go through all the hurdles and hurry up and wait and hurry up and wait. But can I just be honest, this second time around, we're at peace. Because we've seen God do it before. You see, I can remember, Clint, a lot of sleepless nights wondering if the day would ever come when we'd have a child in the house. And then I can remember getting into foster care and praying, asking God if the door would be open for us to adopt a child. And then Sophia came into our lives and there were a lot of sleepless nights with that one. Wondering if it would ever be finalized. Wondering if the day would come when we would have to say goodbye to this child that we love. But you see, God worked. And so, and so now we've got a stone. And you see, my, my stone's a little different. It, it giggles in the back seat of the car. It requires regular feeding. And man, my stone has an attitude. And so you see, as we navigate the process again, we can sit there and go, we've seen God do it once. 
is faithful and he is good and he can do it again. We've got a stone. What are the stones in your life that as you're navigating that trial, as you're navigating that difficulty, you can go and you can look at the stones and say, I've seen God work. He can work again. What are the stones in your life? But I don't want to miss this morning. We can preach this individually, and I believe there is individual application to this, but I don't want to miss the immediate context of this passage, that Clint, this is corporate. This is corporate for Israel. For all of them, it was a reminder of God's work for them. So what are the stones at Airline Baptist Church? that we can look back to and remember God's goodness and his faithfulness and how he's been at work all these years. Because you don't make it to 150 years as a church without some stones remembering God's work that he's been at work. And I got to thinking about this this week as we talk about our just goals and plans as a church, you know what we're really doing? These things that we're praying for? Nelson, we're asking God if he would give us some stones to stack. God, would you show up and show out that we would be debt free this year. And so what happens is fully believing God's going to provide that. And that there's gonna be a stone, Kirk, that we place. We go, God did that. And we're praying and we're asking God if he would enlarge our tribe to where we're actively discipling 200, asking God if he would provide that. And when he does, it's another stone to stack. We're asking God that he would provide the means and the individuals to fill a few staff positions and when he does, it's another stone to stack. So that when the day comes, Nelson, I'm sure the day will come. One day down the road, there's going to be another financial need in the church. I have no ulterior motive. I have nothing planned. We're not starting a building project. Okay? But I'm sure the day will come. There's going to be a financial need, and we're going to be sitting around the table going, how are we going to pay for this? Can we pay for this? And someone at that table is going to go, have we checked the stones? And we go back, 
We say, do you remember back in 2024 when we were praying that God would do something outrageous and take the dead off the church? Well, there's a stone that said he did it then. He can do it now. Or maybe the day is going to come, and I'm praying the day comes, where we're sitting around a table wondering, how can we actively disciple 400? Not because we're obsessed with numbers. That just means we're reaching that many people. And somebody's going to go, did you check the stones? There was a day back in 2024 when we were praying that God would enlarge our tribe and we would be able to reach 200 people and disciple 200. And we did it then. And God provided then. He can do it now. And then maybe the day will come when we're trying to figure out how and if we can bring on four full-time staff members instead of part-time. And somebody's going to be sitting at the table and saying, there's no way we can do that. And somebody's going to say, have you checked the stones? As a church, individually, what are the stones in your life? Maybe today you just need to sit down and remember the stones that God has stacked for you. But not only that, as a church, what if we stepped back and remembered the stones that God has stacked for us? And then as we enter into this new season, we're reminded that the God who did it then can do it today. I'm gonna pray. If you wanna come pray, this altar's open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing to this side. Clinton will be standing to that side. But maybe today, we just need to be reminded of a God, of a God who stacks stones. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, would you move in our midst? God, would you speak to us today? Draw our hearts and our minds and our attention to you. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken-hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can hear. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can hear. Lay down your
appreciate you being here this morning. Um, just a couple quick announcements, and then we will pray and be dismissed. Um, so tomorrow night is Iron Man. So I encourage you to be here tomorrow evening um, as we'll share a meal together and then also a devotion. And so we've had a great turnout the past few weeks. And so I encourage you, if you can make it tomorrow night, to be there as well. And then this Wednesday night, we're continuing adults in our airline DNA class. And so I encourage you to come back out there this Wednesday as we continue our discussion of core values as a church. A few other things you can see in your bulletin. Um, Want to go ahead and get the word out there. VBS, it's never too early to start talking about VBS. Um, June 3rd through the 7th. That's right, that's the right date. Doing it off the top of my head. June 3rd through the 7th in the mornings. And so we had a great turnout last year doing it in the mornings. And so go ahead and put that on your calendar if you're interested in volunteering, being a part. Um, you can let, let me know or let Mandy know. And so she would love to put you to work that week. Um, and so, Mike, if there's anything else, we're going to ask you to pray and dismiss us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the privilege to gather together in this place and worship you and sing your praises. God, look into your word and know more about you, Father. Help us to apply these things into our own life. And, Lord, look into our hearts and just, just think about, God, all the wonderful things you've done, knowing that, God, you're capable, more than able, and as we enter into this time together, Lord, we know that you're able. We know you're capable to do it again. So, God, we entrust you with these things, God. We pray, believing, knowing, God, that you've led us in this direction. So, God, you, you, you just do what God can do, as you always do. Only God can do. Show out. <laughs> Make yourself known, God. Make yourself famous in, in our hearts, God. You are, but in, in the hearts of those around this church to see what you've done. And Lord, we just look forward to that taking place. Lead us, keep us mindful of you as we leave this place today. Help us to be bold in our witness. Share Christ with those that we run into, Lord, and, and just bring others into the fold for their sake, for heaven's sake, for kingdom's sake. Lord, we love you and we thank you now. Lead us and keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.